guys, and welcome to another episode of Mind the Health Gap. Today, we are joined by Belle Ribeiro Adi, a social feminist and, and member of parliament for Streatham, as well as an officer of sickle cell and thalassemia all-party parliamentary group. Welcome, Belle, to our podcast. Thank you. Um, yes, thank you so much for joining us, Belle. So um, today, our podcast focus is going to be on the political determinants of health. Um, we're just going to have a, just a discussion on what they are, uh, you know, uh, why they haven't had as much attention on the health agenda um, in the in the usual way where Mohammed and I will equally contribute. So I'm just going to go right into it, if that's OK with you. Yeah. So political action on poverty and global health inequalities was the key message message given by the first alternative world health report in 2005 and it remains the focus of many civil organizations in global health in 2008 the final report on the commissions of social determinants of health also concluded that the political message that health is shaped ultimately by factors such as the distribution of money power and resources at global and national and local levels all of which can be tackled in sectors other than health in the simplest terms, Belle, what do you think the key political determinants of health are? I think um, they're definitely quite heavily focused on how how any government uh, spends its money and how they take their time to look uh, between, I suppose, the richest and, and, and the poorest in society. And, and, you know, it's no surprise that those who live in worse socioeconomic um, areas um, have certain types of, of jobs and uh, you know we'll, we'll usually end up having the worst healthcare. that's 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 very clear just because of I suppose where where they are how many resources are put into the particular areas and then again um, you know that, that their own kind of knowledge as to what they should be able to have access to uh, in, in terms of healthcare. Unfortunately, far too often um, poverty um, and lower socioeconomic situations follow a whole range of issues, including just a lack of information about what you you, you can do, um, what you can access, what you are entitled to, and uh, that placed on top of the fact that you're less likely to receive the top uh, rate healthcare is, is ultimately going to put you into a situation where you're likely to have worse health outcomes. And you know, government statistics, statistics from many different uh, organisations will show you exactly the same thing. Right, thank you. And, you know, just to follow up from what you're saying, we have seen a rapid increase in the significance of the influence of these factors um, on health, particularly in London. Um, so, for example, the labour market, uh, the welfare state, and just the lack of political resources, as you mentioned, for... Um, uh, for those affected by socioeconomic um, factors. Um, some of the examples more recently include um, the death of frontline workers, you know, such as Belly Majinga, poor housing for masses that have led to, um, that have led to um, mass murders such as Grenfell, you know, the recent Tower Block fire in Poplar that happened last Friday. Um, these are just a few examples, you know, these these events have made us aware of how these issues can affect communities, especially minoritized communities. 
So I guess my question is, why are these discussions not being carried into the mainstream and then being actioned? You know, how do policy and politics influence the social conditions as we've seen in these examples that generate, that can, that can ultimately in the future generate better health outcomes? Um, I suppose it's, it's about political will. And these conversations have been had um, time and time again. But I suppose particularly when it comes to uh, dealing with issues of the working classes, dealing with issues of people of low socioeconomic backgrounds, and certainly all the time when dealing with issues that people face in this country because of their race, whenever something bad happens, we have a cycle of having a review um, or some sort of inquiry and going over all of the information that we've heard time and time again. It, all of the evidence is there, but it is about the will because to maintain the systems that we currently have, which uh, benefit the rich, um, they are quite simply in, in themselves uh, designed to make sure that other people are poor. I, I think about uh, what happened at Grenfell, which you which you mentioned, and quite literally, it would have taken, I think they said an extra £25 per square metre to upgrade to the cladding, which was not flammable. Now, um, you know, a, a company, um, the, the company contracted by the council, because their main aim, obviously, is, is profit, and that's what you get from a private company. At the end of the day, they have to be accountable to their shareholders. When the main aim is profit, what you see them doing is cutting corners. And in legislation, instead of, uh, you know, government officials putting forward recommendations from a past fire, the Lacano House fire, because they themselves and many of the donors of um, the current government's party are property developers, it actually comes to a situation where they voted um, those pieces of that, that piece of legislation down, which would have meant that it would have been illegal to put such cladding up. Um, and so, you know, it comes full circle and we have this 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 horrible um, situation where people are quite literally murdered um, in, in their homes just so a company could save £25 per square metre. But that's that's part of the problem. Uh, we are driven, I think, too much by profit. Now, people keep saying, oh, certain people in politics are anti-business, they're anti-this, they're anti-that. And don't have an issue with anybody um, making money, I don't have an issue with people um, having well, a certain amount of wealth, as long as they're not doing it uh, at the expense of others. And that's what this system has become. Um, things that are meant to be for public good are being driven or being worked on by private companies, which means people are not the first concern. Profit is the first concern. And when you put profit over people, essentially people will die. And that's what we see. Absolutely, you're you're right, you know, and just to follow on from that, increasingly the importance of like these political determinants of health are starting to become recognized within the global health space and wider medical and health discourses, you know, but for a long time it was always encouraged for for us to take a neutral or a political stance on healthcare. But as as you just pointed out, health is inherently political. This framing is 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 not to feed into wider conversations around social political discourses, uh, liberation movements and other social justice causes. Um, you know, the politics of the recent COVID-19 outbreak and now the vaccine apartheid that's ongoing provide further illustration of how 
political determinants of health shape the responses to health crises. You know, if we are aware of these intersections of political issues with health, why are we still addressing them separately or in silos? Um, again, it, it goes it goes down to political will and it goes down to goes down to profit. And even when it is completely illogical, and you pointed to the coronavirus pandemic and the vaccines, the situation we're now in is completely illogical. However, somebody's going to make some profit out of it. Uh, the idea of vaccine nationalism is just beyond crazy. We have in, we've been dealing with a coronavirus pa pandemic for about a year and a half now, let's say. In that year and a half, we've seen five different variants already. Imagine what we're going to see if we leave all of those countries which will not be able to have the vaccine until, we're talking about 2023 um, at the most, just because healthcare companies want to make profit. And I've been really pleased to see lots of different countries uh, talking about a, a waiver. I think it's so important because actually what people don't realise vaccines or actually most of these vaccines uh, particularly the one I'm, I'm talking more specifically about the one produced by um uk research it produced by by uk research using um uk funds using the and now shareholders of said company are going to make profit and they don't want to release the patent because that would then um decrease their well it become invaluable that, that would then decrease their profits. So instead, you know, they're giving vaccines like aid, but and, and that, that's just wrong. It's wrong morally. It's wrong because it's a pan global pandemic. We are as an entire world suffering through this together. But even if you had no care for people in the global south, um, it's not going to help us either, because all that's going to happen is that more variants um, will come about and they will keep doing it until there is one that is resistant to the current vaccines that we have and then we'll be in trouble. So it makes no sense. But ultimately, uh, profit is 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 the final is the final again. So we're so we're seeing again and again people putting profit over people, and us having a situation where whether or not you know those in low socioeconomic backgrounds are of good health is is of no concern to others. Right. Um, you're absolutely right, Belle. You know. Um, and with this in mind, I guess my last question is how, how then, for me anyways, how then do we move to legitimise and increase mobilisation on tackling some of the pressing political determinants, you know, with key health actors, including academics, scholars, um, students again, uh, across health disciplines and politicians alike to, to take these issues more seriously? Well, I think, um, firstly, we need to use our, uh, our our political power. They're a bit concerned some of the legislation coming through at the moment is going to disenfranchise a lot of people from voting. Uh, but uh, in, 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 in every single way that we can use our, our votes as and voices as, as citizens, as people who have rights in this country to demand that we receive, we receive equal Healthcare. healthcare is meant to be a human right. There are many, many things that are meant to be human rights in, in this country, which we are routinely denied, despite the fact that we go to other countries and preach that they should give their um, citizens these same, these same rights. So it, it is really about using our voices. It is really about, again, not falling into the trap of another inquiry or another review, actually bringing all of the ones that have been put down in the past and saying the evidence is there, things have not changed. 
here are the recommendations, what do we need to do to implement them? So we know what the situations are, we know what the problem is, um, we just need to get on and solve it and we need the political will to do that. Um, but unfortunately, that political will um, is not something that's going to, going to be given, it's something that's going to have to be forced by people right across the country. Yes, I think, Belle, you really touched upon key concepts there, but I think one, one question that I would ask with regards to political will is how do we deal with uh, the reviews or the reports that come out from the government? So we talked about Grenfell and there was the Hackett review and also just recently the SEAL re review, uh, report. How do we make sure that we are moving on from, from the essentially finding solutions and also looking back at reports that have already been designed beforehand instead of just stating the same thing that has been um, put forward by previous stakeholders or previous reports? Well, well firstly, I, I think it's about taking control of certain narratives. So you, you rightfully mentioned um, the most recent report from the government, which is the race, race that, that really ridiculous uh, race report and I think it was so important that um, you know people people right across the country um, who who were of black Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds came out and said this is not for us um, you can't write something um, about us uh, without buy-in from us therefore this is not for us we reject it and I think that should be should be very very um, clear and it has been very very clear um, and even those involved in writing it don't want to associate themselves with it so I think that's that that's helpful that's that's the situation in which we've shown um, our views and that's a situation in which regardless of, of, of what happens in one way or another they're going to be taken into consideration because there is no buy-in from the community uh, far too often when we're talking about more general subjects there is not enough enough pushback and I'm not surprised you go from day to day um, where people end up thinking all politicians are the same, all politics are the same, no matter which party it is, it's always going to be the same. So they don't bother to engage in any sorts of, of actions. But I would, uh, I suppose, have them look at, at some of the small victories that we have had over the past years. Yes, the race report was disgraceful, but it was because of Black Lives Matter protests and um, that they had to stop and, and, and take stock and say that they would they would at least look into the situation and and, and going from something as large as the, the, the Black Lives Matter protests internationally, which I definitely think had a an impact on what happened um in terms of George Floyd's murderer uh, being 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 sentenced and found guilty. Um look at some of the smaller uh, victories that we had. So yesterday uh, in Glasgow, they attempted to, on, on Eid of all days, go to, to, to a very Muslim part of town and remove remove two, two men um, under immigration enforcement. And their neighbours came out and the community came out. It, and it was just two men, um, but it, it made a massive difference. And I, I really do believe that in that community, they have now seen their power. And I think a lot of the time, because so many things are done to us, um, the 99%, uh, people don't see that power. And so they don't bother with engaging because they accept their lot in life. So I think it's about not, not accepting this, not accepting that um, you know, people are going to continue to do these things and, and knowing that the power that we have as, as citizens and, and being informed. A lot of these reviews have gone past and people don't know about them. That's a pro that's another problem, and 
if there's if there's anything that I think that's hampered um, the efforts of of your average person from making sure that they get what what they need or they have access to their rights or that, that, that they're getting the very best care, it's it's a lack of information. And that that lack of information sometimes yes, it's because we don't go out and seek it, but sometimes it's also because it's put in a way that it's it's not accessible. So as well as not being able to access, access the best of everything, we're not able to access the information to get us there. And that holds us back. Rightly so. And I think uh, looking back at the impacts of the pandemic, I think one thing that has not really been discussed is how we could actually address the political determinants of health and the impact of the burden of the virus itself, especially on most vulnerable populations. In your view, what would addressing the political determinants of health look like in the context of this current pandemic. I know you've mentioned information, sharing information and having uh, information that is accessible to everyone being a starting point, but what else would you suggest would be a way of actually looking to solve the socioeconomic inequality or disparities between different demographics? I think the first thing you have to do is is accept them. There's this very ridiculous idea that if you um, you know if you're if you're from uh, a rich background, very often you hear say, "Well, I've worked very hard to get here," um, but it's very easy to get into a position of privilege from a position of privilege. And the the, the government talk a lot about leveling up, and it sounds good. But in practice, that's what they're doing. But we'd actually need a, a real leveling up. We'd have we'd actually have to have a situation where everybody was on the same playing field. So first, at, at the very very bottom of that is just making sure that people have decent homes to live in. This is not something um, that is that is universal um, across the UK. Uh, you know, we are meant to be a developed country. We are the sixth largest economy in the world. But some people live in the most outrageous outrageously dangerous for their health housing there's so many things such as overcrowding and and all of these different issues but that's just because of an unwillingness again to provide for for the for the poorest in in our society so you hear you heard well during the pandemic um there were certain groups uh, particularly black and asian asian communities that were more likely to to contract coronavirus and people saying oh well they live in overcrowded housing um who actually wants to live in overcrowded housing they were saying it as if they wanted to live in overcrowding housing oh it's because of the type of jobs they do yes um i'm sure uh, people doing a lot of these key worker jobs where they had to essentially whilst loads of people were sitting at home on, on on furlough they had to actively go out and work and do all of these jobs which are really um, that some of the lowest paid jobs in our society, but they were continuing to work. Yes, everybody, I, I cannot think of a single person that would say, oh, um, I don't want you to pay me any more money. That's absolutely ridiculous. So this whole idea that people want to be in this situation um, is absolutely ridiculous in, its, in, in itself. Uh, but, I, you know, I think firstly, we need to uh, make sure people have decent housing, increase wages. The wages that we pay in 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 this 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 country i think absolutely ridiculous and even after everything nhs healthcare workers have done for us they received a one percent pay rise now i say this as, as, as a member we we were we were due a pay rise as members of parliament of i think over three percent and the majority of us rejected it so they they wrote it off 
And I, 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 all I could think to myself is why on earth would you think um, that it was okay to give members of parliament a 3% pay rise after a pandemic and only give um, nurses a 1% pay rise? What, what could possibly be going on um, in, in your head? But I think it's just, just the general idea um, that in, in, you know, in society, there are some people that are on the, on, on the lower rungs. And there is this idea that if you, if you studied a certain type of university, um, that you, you, you are better than, than any other individual. And I, and I think that's completely wrong. People in some of the jobs which are considered the lowest um, in, 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 in terms of status were the ones that so, saw us right through this pandemic. Without them, things would have been much worse and things, things were terrible. Uh, so I think it's about looking also about what we value in society. Once we can, if we can fix a, a situation where people are in decent homes, people are being paid well and, and, and you know, not living in overcrowded housing, um, where healthcare is not a matter of postcode um, and where healthcare is, as our great NHS was meant to be, free, um, free at the point of use with no additional strings attached like where you live, all of those things would just make a massive difference um, in, in terms of how people treat. And also, obviously, looking at individual prejudice, I'm someone who's not a big fan of the, the, the phrase unconscious bias, um, because I think a lot of biases are quite, quite conscious. Um, but I think it's important to implement certain things um, and certain training and certain standards that and that needs to come from the top of the institution to remove institutional inequalities and that would ensure that everybody accessing services regardless of their socioeconomic background regardless of their race regardless of their gender are getting the the, the service their, their their absolute human right um to healthcare and are getting it in exactly the the equal way that will ensure the best outcomes exactly and i think that the pandemic black lives matter um in the summer people have had a lot of time to sit down and actually realize that the current political system isn't working for them isn't fair and potentially a revolution it needs to happen for things to change so the pandemic i feel have given us the opportunity to do things different differently and imagine a different political system that works for everyone and with the state of the current political landscape what do you need to what do you think would enable this and how can we gain more traction when it comes to the willingness of the government to do something about the reports that have been issued and i think you really mentioned the state of social care and how health professionals haven't really been looked after after all the goodwill and hard work they've undergone throughout the whole summer within the pandemic as well. Sorry, my question is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think needs to happen to change this? And how can we get more political traction uh, to solve issues such as um, funding the NHS and making sure that the wages of social care workers is increased and making sure that things are more sustainable in the long run? Well, I think definitely what it's, it's, it's about showing our power in numbers. 
um, particularly during the course of the pandemic. And I suppose it, it's, it's been a lot easier to see because people have been um, at home and in some ways glued to the news in one way or another on their social media. But the government made a number of different U-turns and that was just because people came out, expressed their outrage, uh, contacted their MPs. Oh, sorry, one second. Sorry, my visitor put something in her mouth. <laughs> All right. Well, well where was I? Um, people, people came out in their numbers to reject a number of different things. And there are a lot of successful campaigns to had. The, the one I could think of is um, the free school meals, the free school meals and not giving them within um, the school holidays and actually the pathetic size of them and all of these different things. But people came out and you had great people like Marcus Rashford using their celebrity for good. Um, and through that people power, through that protest, whether it was online, uh, whether it was in person and people taking action, we were able able to make a change and it may have seemed like like a small change but there's so many families that go hungry when there is so much food wasted right across our country um, and you know from there we've seen uh, lots of different things spring up like the campaign for a right to food and and you know trying to get different cities to call themselves right to food cities I know that's been done in Liverpool so far in different councils so it, it does make a difference um, and you know, I think it is. It, it can be difficult. Campaigning can be difficult because it can take a lot to get certain outcomes. But where we have done done the work and where people have come together, they have made changes. I think it's important that we we continue to push push with that. At the end of the day, and I and I say this as a member of parliament myself, we are meant to be public servants. We are meant to do as people ask, uh, not not what you know, not whatever we think. Um, and if the people say this is what they want, that's essentially what we have to do. And with that, what is the role of a local government in this and how can they mobilise local grassroots organisations, charities and different sectors? I'm so sorry, can you hold that? Sorry, Bell, I think you're on mute. Yes, sorry. Um, trust me, no one's come here all day. And, and she hasn't made any noise, but just now. Um, you asked me about local government. <laughs> yes, so what do you think the role of local government is in all this and how important is it to mobilize the local community when it comes to um, even the charity sector, when it comes to addressing the po political determinants of health and how mm -hmm. could they shift the discourse so that it's more accessible to the everyday people that are most impacted by this? Yeah, well, well, local government is key. Uh, we saw through the pandemic how when the local government were being uh, allowed to carry out, uh, you know, sending out people shielding letters, um, assisting people who needed food, um, actually just just right throughout, right throughout and across the board in terms of pro providing their best place to see what's needed in a local area. Local government can build housing, proper housing, which is something that we need definitely in a place such as London. Um, we need we need to build more housing, and local government has the ability to do that. Unfortunately, again, what's hampering local government is funds, funds from central government, and that's causing a massive, massive issue. But where local government have been given those funds, where local government have been given those that that freedom um, in terms of how they spend the money, knowing their locality best, uh, they have done the best, I think. 
So I think it's really, really important to look at um, look at local solutions, but that also involves making sure that there's local funds. Perfect. Um, I think that is the end of the podcast episode. And yeah, one, I'm so sorry. <laughs> thank you for actually giving us the time to discuss important issues. I know you're very busy. Um, and I think we've only got like one minute and 45 minutes before the Zoom expires. But again, again, if he has anything to add, no, I just want to thank you so much, Belle. Um, I love the socialist and feminist agendas you always push within health um, and putting people at the forefront of your campaigning and your work as a member of parliament. So, um, from